Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing our relationship series. And this is a series that we started last week. And this series is specifically designed to deal with one of the most significant aspects of our human lives, and that is our relationships. That's our relationships. So we're talking to married folks, we're talking about husbands, wives, we're talking about singles, we're talking to parents, we're talking about kids, raising kids, being a good friend, healthy communication. All those things play into this whole idea of our interpersonal relationships. And some of you might be wondering why in a church are they focusing on relationships? Aren't there better things to talk about? Well, not really. Uh, In the the diet, the healthy diet, the Christian curriculum, we have to talk about a whole lot of things, but we ought to focus on the things that are most important. And I think to get our relationships wrong is to get a lot wrong. To get our relationships wrong is to get a lot wrong. The reality is that who you are and who you will be uh, will be significantly impacted, significantly shaped by the relationships you have. More specifically, the family to which you were born, your upbringing, your worldview that your parents had, the way they chose to love or discipline you, all of those things will deeply impact who you are as a person now and forevermore. I'll even go as far as to say that the friendships and the relationships that you build outside of your blood family will also help to shape your outlook on life, will also help to shape who you are and who you will become. And it's for that reason that relationships are vitally important and relationships desperately need to be addressed from the vantage point of Scripture in our churches, particularly in this one. I remind you each week of the greatest commandment. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we boil that down. We say love God and love people. That's what we're on this earth to do. That's what this thing is all about, right? So we figure that half of what we're on this earth to do is to get our relationships right. And when we look at it that way, all of a sudden our relationships become more and more important. As I say each time when we do this series, this is not information for you to fix or work on somebody else. This information is for you to work on yourself and to view how God uh, wants us to work these relationships out in our everyday life in the light of Scripture and to have it be informed by that, I began this series last week talking to our single people in, in the church. Uh, we learned last week uh, that sometimes our singles can feel isolated. They can feel less important because we tend to celebrate the things that happen once you stop becoming single, you know. Once you stop being single, like marriage and having kids and stuff like that. And in the hustle and bustle of that, particularly in a community of faith... Our singles can feel left out. They can feel less important. They can feel second class. And I desperately wanted them to understand that, one, they're of much worth and value in this church, but they're especially significant to God. I also think it's very important to understand that how we live our single lives, which generally speaking is the foundation for our other interpersonal relationships, how we live and learn and build a strong foundation as a single really determines how well we do in our other interpersonal relationships, especially a dating relationship, and especially as it relates to marriage and all the implications of that. So last week I opened this series with a message that's, that, was, that I simply call How to Live the Good Life as a Christian Single. How to Live the Good Life, or by, in other words, how to live the abundant life, the life that Jesus Christ died for, the life that God gave his son for, paid great price. How do we live that life as a Christian single. My belief is that whenever you put Christian in front of it, it ought to improve the quality of that. In other words, I feel that Christian parents have information and have insights and have a worldview that should make them better parents than worldly ones. I feel that Christian singles should have a better life, should have more self-confidence, should have a, just, a, just a better spring in their step. Then whenever you put Christian in front of something, it ought to improve it. And for that reason, I believe that Jesus really wants us all to live the good life, especially our Christian singles. When we apply his principles and truth, we live the good life as singles. And one of the things that I uncovered as I just sort of reached out to singles in this church and, and, and people just in my wider social circle is that one of the main things, the main issues that Christian singles wonder about and have lots of questions about is dating. Dating, how do we do it right? How do we do it God's way? 
Is there a right and a wrong way to handle this dating life? And I think you've stumbled upon the right answer if you say, yes, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about this. And I want to talk briefly this morning. I shouldn't say briefly. I want to talk this morning about how to date God's way. I'm simply calling this message this morning, Dating God's Way. Dating God's Way. I reached out to our singles last week and even this week, and I asked them, what are the issues and concerns that you have when it comes to dating as a Christian single? And I just want to sort of read to you some of their responses, just to sort of give you a framework of, you know, how I've constructed this message this morning. First person responds, I would like to know when a parent should allow their daughter or son to start the dating process, and when do you start talking to them about the behavior that is appropriate? That's fantastic. Another person writes, how far is too far? We struggle because we still don't know exactly if all of our physicality is acceptable and pleasing to God. Another person writes, another issue for me specifically is dating the not-so-mature Christian or the good guy who is still willing to grow with you. That is where I am right now with my boyfriend. Most of my life I was told that my husband and I should be at the same level spiritually, But from a woman who was raised in church and around Christian men constantly, it just didn't seem realistic. Either the Christian guys aren't interested, I wasn't interested, or it's not enough of them to go around in the church. Being that I work in everyday world, I meet good men all the time like my boyfriend. They have godly morals, good character, and they love God. My boyfriend, however, doesn't have a church home or a direction on how to build that relationship with God. Do I just say forget him because he's not at my spiritual level and understanding? I've sought out advice from godly men and women, and many fall on both sides of the coin. I think it's easy to demand what you want in a man when he's not in your life and he's just a list on a sheet of paper. It's a different story when you have an amazing person who is actually in your life, but they don't have all the things you thought your mate was supposed to have. This is something that so many godly women go through, even at our church. It is something we struggle with in trying to please our true king, but yet seeing so much potential in a good man. I thought that was a very, very thoughtful uh, sort of presentation. Uh, Another person writes, I think one thing that confused me was the whole idea of sitting back and waiting for my husband to just come and get me. It just seems so odd and contrary to the world. Not the word, the world. That's why I was told to do, that's what I was told to do constantly at the church and through my dad and brother. I guess one of my questions is, uh, if there is a man you're interested in that is a Christian, what do you do? Sit back and wait, drop hints. It seems to be sort of a gray area. And this is just me sort of synthesizing some of the responses that we got. And I think these are all good. And these will help me sort of uh, help shape the outline for today and help shape the, the, the direction that we go in today. But I also want to say that these messages on relationships, even if it doesn't hit the particular stage of life that you're in right now, there's something in these messages for everybody, particularly as it relates to singles, man, because we have a lot of singles in our church. And some of you are parents of young children. I'm guessing that they're all single. You know, they haven't been married off or they're not spoken for yet, right? So it's our responsibility to steward uh, our children and to help instruct them and disciple them in this growing and very dangerous, very liberal, very permissive cultural climate. It's our responsibility to help shape their understanding of God's expectations for them and the ways of the world. So this is for you parents, right? And even if you're married and you don't have children right now or you don't have children at all, listen, you do life every single day with lots and lots of single folks. And if you're going to reach them, if you're going to relate to them, I think it's helpful. I venture to say that it's necessary to understand the issues that they're dealing with, the struggles that they're facing, realizing that sometimes our married status can put us out of touch with what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And oftentimes our advice is trite. It falls flat. It comes from a uh, vantage point of superiority. And it's helpful for us to understand as married folks what our single brothers and sisters are struggling with, the questions that they have. It's helpful also to know what the word says about these issues so that we can help disciple them and help, help them along and encourage them along the right path. So this, is, this stuff is for everybody. No matter what we cover throughout the course of this series, don't check out. Don't try to stay at home and try to figure out when your thing is going to come up because this is for everybody, right? 
So based on the, the things that I've researched this week, and especially based on the input that I've gotten uh, over the last couple of weeks and really over the last three years as I've sought out information on this, I want to tackle three big questions this morning. I want to ask and hopefully answer three big questions this morning. And those three questions are these. Where do I start? What's the starting point? Uh, for a Christian single. If we want to get off on the right track, we want to get off on the right foot, what is the starting point? Second question is, who do I date? Who do I date? And the third question is, how do I date? How do I date as a Christian? Now, I'll also say that this, I could easily do a several-week series on the subject matter, but obviously won't do that. I'll try to uh, uh, capture as much of this as I, as I possibly can. But before I begin this morning, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for these people, Lord, who gather week after week to worship you, God, and to hear what you would have to say. God, I pray for this particular subject uh, that we're dealing with this morning. I know it can be sensitive. I know that singleness and dating and trying to find the right one and trying to stay in your will can be very difficult. It can be very challenging. It can feel very lonely at times, Lord. So I just pray that you would comfort and you would just bring your peace, bring your joy, Lord. I pray that you would remove any distraction, any barrier that would keep us from hearing and receiving and understanding uh, what you would have to say to us this morning. God, put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning. God, I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, so that your light, and more importantly, your hope can shine through. Thank you in advance for all you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the, the first of the big three questions that I'll tackle this morning is where do I start? Where do I start? I'm single. I've decided that I want to live this life for Jesus. Uh, but I'm having a little trouble figuring out uh, how that works. I've heard things. I've read things. Uh, preacher, help me straighten this thing out this morning. Where do I start? And we'll start this morning in Matthew chapter 6. I think this is a great starting point for all of us, really, but especially as we tackle this material. Matthew chapter 6, open your Bibles if you have them, kick on your phones, because I know you have those. And uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, and you'd like one, there's a Bible on the edge of each row. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take one of those home as a gift from us to you. We'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus talking this is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. That's a bold statement. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to, them, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for the flower, wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows what you need. Verse 33, and this is the money verse for this morning. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I'll read that again. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now this is the appropriate starting point for this morning, but let me just sort of zoom out and say that this is the appropriate starting place for all of us as Christians, no matter what our place or station of life, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're widowed or divorced, it doesn't matter. This is the starting line for all of us, no matter what place or station of life we find ourselves in. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And I'll just pause here for a moment and just explain briefly what the kingdom of God is. You know, we live in a democracy and we don't really have a real close connection with what a kingdom is and all that sort of stuff. But I'll just say simply, a kingdom is not particularly a geo, you know, geographical place, a physical place, but a, a, the kingdom of God specifically is like a dynamic realm. And in that realm, God is in charge. 
And what happens when we surrender our life to Jesus, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. We surrender our life to his lordship and to his rulership. And seeking the kingdom, as Jesus puts it here, basically means seeking God's plan, seeking his will for our lives, and living according uh, to that with, with reckless abandon. And what Jesus is saying here is seek the kingdom above all else. In other words, the number one thing on your list The most important pursuit for you in your life, no matter what your place and station is, is to seek God's will, his plan, his best for you, and to seek it with reckless abandon. And he says that if you seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, to live righteously, and that's very important. We just came out of Romans, spent six weeks in Romans, talking about the good news, talking about the gospel, talking about when we have faith in Jesus, he basically credits us his righteousness, and we are made righteous regardless of our uh, background and regardless of our history, right? Live righteously or live in accordance with how God sees you as righteous, as new, as a person living with a clean slate. So seek the kingdom above all else. Live righteously according to God's plan and his purpose. And what else will happen? And he will give you everything you need. Didn't say he'd give you your 10-page wish list. Didn't say he would give you all your desires and all your wants. He would say, he says that he will give you everything thing you need. I think it's interesting that the verses that come before verse 33 talk about things uh, that we shouldn't worry about. Things like food, things like water, things like clothes. I think it's interesting that we all and much of the world would count those things as basic necessities. I mean, the list given here weren't frivolous things like, hey, don't think about your Facebook page or don't think about, you know, what earrings you're going to wear. We're talking about some, some serious things here. What are we going to eat? What's, what's going to nourish our bodies? What are we going to drink? What's going to keep us from starving, right? What are we going to wear? Because clothing are important. Otherwise, you go to jail and you're embarrassed, right? And you're in a newspaper. This is important stuff. These are necessities. So I think when we're talking about something as significant as how we live out our passions and our desires, how we exercise our God-given desire to be in a relationship, to be with somebody, to build a life with somebody, to be fruitful and multiply as the scriptures give us permission to do within the confines of Christian uh, marriage, I think this is kind of one of those basic things that we shouldn't over worry about and we shouldn't exalt higher than seeking the kingdom and pursuing God's best for us. So when we say, hey, as a Christian single, where should I start? Do I get online? Where do I start? Do I, do I check the one ads or do I start scouring my community? Do I start scouring my church? Listen, there's time for that. But the first thing is to seek the kingdom and all of its righteousness And the scripture tell us that everything will be added. I want to tell you today that it's not a bad thing to be desirous of being in a relationship. It's not a bad thing. It's not something dirty or naughty or silly to desire to be in a meaningful relationship, a mutually satisfying relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. It becomes sinful. It becomes dangerous when that becomes the thing that's in the driver's seat of your life. It becomes dangerous when that's the thing you think about when you wake up and that's the thing that you base your decisions on and all of your standards and all of your morals will bow to the pursuit of being in a relationship. That's where it becomes dangerous. That's where it becomes sinful. And that's where it's important to refocus our eyes on the command to seek the kingdom first Live righteously, and everything that we need, including a significant other, will be added. Will be added. But here's the problem with that. You know, Jesus is kind of abstract, right? You know, you know, the kingdom of God is just kind of like, it takes some thought and some processing to try to materialize that. But our needs and our feelings and our desires and our awareness of our singleness is very pressing. It's very tangible. It's upon us. It's in our face, right? 
We're celebrating holidays like Valentine's Day and all of these people are posting anniversary wishes and all this sort of stuff and it just makes you aware. It makes you aware of your singleness. It makes you aware of the fact that you're not coupled yet. I call Valentine's Day Singleness Awareness Day because my singles know that you become especially aware of your singleness during those moments. And it's hard to sink the kingdom, but that's square one. That's square one. And for all my singles here wondering who you should date and who you should marry and all these sorts of things, I found this fantastic quote, and I posted it on Facebook this week, but I think it will help steady us on this particular starting point of seeking the kingdom. The author writes, fix your eyes on Jesus and the plan he has for your life. Seek the kingdom. Look ahead and run after him with all your heart. Then look around. Whoever has kept up with you, marry that person. I think that's worth another read. Fix your eyes on Jesus and the plan he has for you. Seek the kingdom above all else. Look ahead and run after him with all your heart. Then look around. Whoever has kept up with you, marry that person. And I feel that that captures the essence of our starting point this morning um, to seek the kingdom of God first. To find out what it means for you to pursue God with all that you have at your particular place, your particular station of life, is a great starting point. It has a unique way of editing out all of the nonsense, editing out all of the bozos, all of the people that won't add to your life, all the people that will waste your time, all the things that will pull you away from Jesus Christ and his plan for your life, seeking the kingdom first has a unique way of offering you, offering you that in ways that are so significant and so important. Seek the kingdom first. And those of you who have decided to seek the kingdom first, and then you get around to the point where you're asking, am I ready today? God, am I in a place right now where I, 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 I'm, I'm healthy enough, where I'm sober enough to bring somebody else into this party? And I think that the Lord would be willing to share that with you, particularly if you're seeking him. Particularly if you're seeking him. I was reading this week, and the author gave a long list of answers to this question, am I ready to date yet? And a lot of them were very helpful, but I think they boiled down to this one. He says, I'm ready to date when I don't have to be in a relationship. We don't absolutely need to be coupled. And so many Christian singles, particularly those whose clock is ticking, and I, you know, it doesn't matter what age you talk to somebody who's single and desires to be in a relationship, they feel that their clock is ticking. They're 17, and they're like, listen, time is running out. Right? But it's so easy to get to this place where that's just the main focus. I just absolutely need to be in a relationship. I absolutely, my clock is ticking. I need somebody. I need them right now. Well, listen, that's a terrible, terrible place to be. The terrible place to be to decide to date because all sorts of things will get compromised. Your vision is skewed. You're completely impaired to making good judgment because you're, you're desperate. You're desperate. And let me tell you, ladies, let me tell you, gentlemen, desperation is not a good look. It is not a good look. Now, let me tell you, the wolves, they know desperation, and they're looking for desperation. But desperation is not a good look. And I trust me when I tell you that when you're seeking the kingdom first, you're leaning into God's plan for your life and for your heart. You want nothing to do with anything other than what God wants for you and in his timing Listen, desperation goes out of the window. This doesn't mean you don't want to be in a relationship. It doesn't mean that you still have one eye peeled, right, for this person as they might enter your life. But it means that that's not your main focus and that God can instruct you. He can lead you. He can guide you. He can speak to you. He can say, yes, that one. No, that one. Hey, leave that alone or not now. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus, his plan for your life, his righteousness, everything else will be added. Second question that I think is very important that I get a lot is who do I date? Okay, preacher, I'm seeking the kingdom. I have a renewed focus on seeking God's plan for my life. You know, I'm going to have some tunnel vision at this stage of my life. I'm going to seek Jesus. I'm going to get in his word. I'm going to pursue his plan. But I still need a date. I still am looking for somebody. Help me this morning, preacher. 
help me figure out who do I date. Now, many of you have probably discovered already that the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about dating specifically, and much of that has to do with culture. You know, marriages were generally arranged, and people didn't necessarily date and go to the restaurant and, like, you know, plan a wedding and all this sort of stuff. Culturally, it's different. So I think what we have to do today as we look at the Scripture and have that inform our present-day approach to dating and finding a mate, we have to look at the principles that are set forth in Scripture and let those principles build the framework for our decision-making on this. The question, who do I date? Very important question. And I think the Scripture that best speaks to this uh, is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can, righteousness be a par- how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So it seems that one of the major guidelines that we have as we ask and hopefully answer this question, who do I date, seems like Paul is basically telling us first who not to date. Who not to date? And it's helpful because we can narrow the list. We can skinny the pool here. And Paul is basically saying Christians should marry Christians. Christians should marry Christians. And if that's true, then Christians should date Christians. The simple truth is I think that Scripture is pretty clear in saying that we are not to date or marry outside of the faith. We are not to date or to marry outside of the faith. Now, I didn't write this stuff. I agree with it. I didn't write it. I didn't set the bar so I don't get to lower it, and neither do you. And I told you last week there's no update to the Bible that's coming out that is more suitable for the world around us, the culture that we live in. And some people look at the scriptures and say, listen, that's way outdated. Nobody's living like that before. Listen, that's the problem. Let's pass out more copies. Okay? We're not going to lower the bar here. And Paul says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And I think this has other implications in other spheres of life. But it's especially true and it's especially relevant as it relates to dating and picking a, a, a mate. It's especially important. Now, if we back up a little bit and we talk about what the starting line was, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added, you know, once you've settled on that part, this becomes a lot easier. This becomes a lot easier. Once you've decided that you're going to spend your whole life pursuing Jesus at all costs, You'll go where he says you should go. You'll do what he says you'll do. You'll raise your kids how he says to raise your kids. You'll spend your money. You'll steward your body according to his plan, according to his purposes, according to his principles. Then you dare not team up with somebody who might pull you in the opposite direction. Or you dare not team up with somebody who's going to make doing that, pursuing the kingdom, difficult. I've never seen this work successfully where somebody is living the good life, the abundant life, and they're teamed up with an unbeliever. Never seen it work well. I've seen God redeem situations. I've seen people be faithful to their marriage to a nonbeliever. And there are many circumstances that could find you find yourself in a marriage with an unbeliever. I mean, sometimes people, two unbelievers get married. One finds Christ and the other one doesn't. And the person that finds Christ walks that out the best they can. And other scenarios play out where you find yourself hooked up with a non-believer. I'm just saying from the outset, let's not fool ourselves here and thinking that this is a scenario that sets us up for success. It's simply not. Bible is clear that we are not to date or marry outside of the faith. We shouldn't do it. And I think it's also important and worth saying that we shouldn't either get into the habit of redefining dating. You know, we, we date all the time and we just call it something else. Oh, we're just going for coffee, you know. Or we're just going, no, listen, this is a very dangerous, slippery slope. Don't give your heart to something or someone. It doesn't end well. 
And why is this, listen, why is this such an issue? Why is this such a downer? I just see people like, dang, right? Why is this such an issue for us? It's an issue because it significantly, you know, it significantly lessens the number of available people. That's the issue. That's what we're dealing with, right? You're like, dang, look, there's 100 guys over there. And then we say, hey, psh, only date the Christians. You're like, dang, now there's like maybe one over there. <laughs> or brothers, you say, dang, look at all these nice looking women. I'm real nice, real smart, right? They have life. And say, psh, brother, you want a Christian one, sold out Christian. And you're like, dang, man. Well, that girl goes to church. No, brother, you want a Christian woman. <laughs> she, she went to church, I think, back in 2011, you know. <laughs> We're not talking about church goers. Listen, listen. I'm not talking about church goers. I'm not talking about good guys. I'm not talking about nice guys. I'm not talking about he plays the organ at that one church every third Sunday. I'm talking about followers of Jesus, and this, this, and this is so such a bummer because the pool becomes very shallow all of a sudden. Becomes very shallow all of a sudden, and that's just kind of that's just kind of unfortunate. But it's kind of not. A shallow pool is not a bad thing when you consider the fact that marriage is forever, and who you marry will shape who your children become. Who you marry will help you decide what you do and how you steward your resources. The quality of your life as a Christian significantly goes up when the person that you're living your life with, sharing resources, stewarding lives of little ones, the quality of your life goes through the roof when the two of you agree on the principles that govern your life. Do any of you know somebody who's married to somebody who's not a believer? I do. Dear friends with some of them. They love their spouses deeply, but their Christian life is hard because the person they've chosen to do life with, for whatever reason, doesn't share their enthusiasm for the most important thing in their life. The things that helps them decide what they do with their money and how they raise their children. It's a, it's a, it's a very difficult life. And Jesus isn't trying to make life hard for you or try to, you know, skinny the pool and make you just wait a long time. He's trying to save your life. Trying to do you a favor here. Because if you date outside the faith, according to a friend of mine, you will experience profound pain. You will experience profound pain because you'll be, cho- you'll be given the force to choose between compromising your relationship with God, which should be the number one pursuit, which should be the number one goal, or compromising your relationship with someone you've fallen in love with. One of those will win. And even if we're talking about a really good guy or a really nice girl, come from a good family, got good morals, seem to not mind that there's a God above and that he's smiling on us. Even if you decide to hook yourself up with somebody like that, listen, Jesus is kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. The kingdom of God is like, hey, do it this way or the highway. That's kind of how it works out. So compromise is inevitable when we choose to date, and especially when we choose to marry somebody who falls outside of the faith. If you look through the pages of Scripture, you see many instances, many stories of people who disobey God's command to not date outside of the faith. Wise men, wise folks who heard from God, used mightily by him, still fell for the trap of thinking that they could play with fire and not get burned. Thinking that they can attach themselves uh, emotionally and, and spiritually in some ways, and especially physically in some ways, and not have that turn their heart away from the Lord. And God says, don't do it. Something will give, and no matter what gives, even if you say, dang, I had a, I've been with this person a year. This isn't going right. i got to part ways because I don't want to compromise my faith. This isn't a still. You've invested a year of your life in that. You've given a piece of your heart to that person. They're in your history now. And something is going to cause profound pain 
because we've chosen to just see maybe, maybe this will be, be my project boyfriend, you know. This is an evangelistic relationship here. And we'll read scripture. He's going to have to come to church with me or she's going to have to come to church with me and she's going to have to come to small group and this and the other. This is how this is going to work. I know they don't believe in my God. I know they don't respect my faith. But listen, I, trust me, I can work on them. Well, I've seen that happen just a few times. But I don't think that should be the plan. I don't think that God's best. And frankly, a lot of people I hear talking that way are just barely hanging on themselves. And having real trouble seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and living according to that. And more times than not, I hate to report to you that the compromise that they end up making is with the person that they're dating. And the biggest problem with that is that, you know, from the outset, your goal was to win them over. But each compromise you make, every time you get physical, when they want to get physical, every compromise you make, it lessens the impact and the significance of the faith that you claim to have given your life to. So your compromises are having, essentially having the reverse effect. They're not gaining a better respect for God and who he is. They're not gaining a better understanding of how you have staked your life on Jesus and you are immovable as it relates to his boundaries, his morals, his precepts, his values. And usually what suffers is your relationship with God and the opinion that that person has about the faith. Who do I date? I'll tell you who you shouldn't. Shouldn't date an unbeliever. Shouldn't marry an unbeliever. That seems harsh, that seems mean, that seems cruel, but hey, it is what it is. And God is doing this for our benefit and for no other reason. So if I shouldn't date a non-believer, who should I date? Well, you should date a believer. <laughs> you should date a believer. Now get this, listen, get this. I mean, the pool is real shallow. All of a sudden, God has done you a favor and he's removed all of these jokers that would just kind of be a distraction, right? He's given you a, a real important, significant tool to really just kind of skinny the pool here. And I feel like through that, we have a better idea. We have a, we had a better opportunity to choose and to choose wisely. And it's also my opinion that as I'm seeking the kingdom of God and what he has for me, I'm have, I have a clearer picture of where God is leading me. And this is true in my own life. When I was a, a single young man it was, uh, in college at the University of Illinois, didn't know specifically that I would be a church planter, but I had a real good uh, sense that I would be doing some type of sort of full-time ministry somewhere. I didn't know exactly what that would uh, look like, but I knew that I just knew that I would be doing some type of ministry work. And I also was aware that the type of person that I would marry would have a significant impact on how well that went for me. And I was really, at that time, really asking the Lord, Lord, what is your plan for me? He was trying to begin to uh, uncover this whole idea of church planting and this whole idea of, you know, what I would be doing with my life. And that really helped me be very selective, be very selective about who I brought into my life as it relates to who I dated and who I would eventually marry. You say, what's your point, preacher? My point is, as we get closer to Jesus, as we take seriously, and as we understand this idea that he is not sort of like trying to hide his plan from us. He's not trying to just kind of sneak around and make you chase him. God, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll just catch me if you can. It's my personal experience that if we really want to know what God wants us to do, if we really want to know the direction for our life, God is faithful to reveal that. And when you combine this idea of who I'm not to marry and you ha have a healthy understanding of where you're going in life and where God is leading you, for me at least, it made it very clear, uh, particularly as I begin to select and try to find a mate. Now, the reality is that some of us aren't ready for marriage yet. Some of us aren't even ready to date yet. And I feel like no answer is an answer. Some of you say, God, send me somebody. God, send me somebody. God just seems real silent. You know, that might mean, it might mean that it's not time yet. 
it might mean that there's, it's not time yet. It might mean it's not time yet. But some of you specifically have asked, Lord, where, where do I go? Okay, where do I go to find these guys and gals? Where do I go to find them? Who do I date? Where do I go? Well, I think they're all around, really. I think they're all around. I think they're in church. I think they're in church. Listen, I think if you're looking for a, a, a Christian man or woman to date, I think that the starting point should be church. Now, some of you have found and some of you have even related that there seems to be a scarcity, particularly of Christian men and single men in this church, but I think that that's the starting, starting point. I think that there are also, you know, many of you have asked about, you know, is, is online dating, is that sort of thing, does God frown upon that? And my opinion, and I'm labeling this as my opinion, my opinion is I don't think that that's off limits for the Christian single. I think it's a modern way of finding people in dating, and I think it's perfectly acceptable if we use the right guidelines and if we use God's word and his principles and his plan for our life to inform how we pursue that. So they're online. They're in your workplace. They're at the school that you go to. But some of us feel like there's nobody out there, and that's because the pool is just very shallow, or it could be that it's simply not your time yet. But I want to encourage you, particularly my Christian ladies here today, I want to encourage you today because I want to let you know this, that solid Christian brothers who have decided to live their life for God can spot you from a mile away. When I say you, I mean a Christian sister who decided to live her life for Jesus. They can spot you from a mile away. And I say that from experience. I had my list of non-negotiables as it relates to who I was going to date. And I disqualified many beautiful, nice women because they didn't fit this list that I had that was shaped and informed by God's plan his purpose, his principles, and the specific plan that God was beginning to unfold in my life. And because God had given me that, I had my eyes open, I mean, every place I went. And I, could, I, I saw my wife from a mile away, figuratively speaking. And I could spot a solid Christian sister from a mile away. So if you think that you're invisible, if you think that you're going to be on the market forever... Listen, the brothers that are looking for solid Christian sisters, listen, don't feel like you got to tweak yourself or lower your standards or show a little more skin because the brothers that God has for you will be looking for somebody who's living according to what God says, who's living according to what God says. And the brothers, it's the same for you. The sisters who are sold out, and sisters who are looking according to God's principles, his plan, his precepts, listen, they will spot you from a mile away. They're looking just as hard as you are. Trust me, they are. And there's a huge danger when you're trying to tweak yourself and lower yourself and make yourself more marketable. And each and every time you do that, and each and every time you compromise, and each and every time you lower the standard, you lower the bar, listen, the real Christian brothers, they can see that. Real Christian sisters, they can see that. All that to say, I want to encourage you guys to stay the course. To stay the course as it relates to finding this person that God has for you. We've talked about the starting point. We've talked about who do I date. And I think that once you've found that person, and some of you have, I think the important question is how do I date? How do I date? Now, we can spend several weeks on this particular question, but I won't. I just want to give you a few guidelines uh, as it relates to how do I date. Once I've found the person, how do I walk this out? Well, the first thing I would say to you is have, have a goal. Have a goal. I think there's a real danger in just sort of casual, casual dating. Just, just let me see. I just want to just hang out. Oh, that guy looks good. I'll just go in and see what he's about. We'll just kind of hang out and just, we'll just see where it goes. Well, there's a pretty lady over there. Man, I should like to get to know her. Well, let's just kind of see where this goes. I personally think that Christians ought to date to marry. Can I just say that? That's my opinion. I think that that's a, 
an opinion that's been informed by the word of God, but I think that Christians should date to marry. That doesn't mean that once you've dated somebody that you're on the hook and now you got to marry them. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that the goal in the Christian's life as it relates to dating and trying to find a mate, I think that the end goal should be marriage. To the degree that when you discover that you're dating somebody that you cannot marry for one reason or another, you find that you're incompatible, that you would not, as it stands, based on what you know about them, you would not continue to the marriage altar, I think you ought to do that person a favor and you a favor and let it go. I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's the way you guard your heart. I think that's the way you keep yourself from making costly mistakes and wasting lots of time and emotional energy. I think that Christians date to marry. And with this goal in mind, I think the goal of dating a person is the goal of discovering who they really are, getting to know them. That's the goal of dating, I believe, is to discover who they really are. You've already been attracted to what you've seen. Maybe they look good or maybe they have a swagger that you really like that you want to get to know. Maybe you've seen just a fraction of who they are. But this whole dating process is a discovery where you really want to know who the, what the guts of that person really looks like, who they really are. You want to figure out what they stand for. You know what you stand for, and what you stand for as a Christian, as a person, your, your, your statutes and your principles have been formed by Scripture, and you want to see what this person stands for. You want to discover their values. You want to discover their family background. What kind of people do they come from? Because you're marrying them too, believe it or not. You want to see how they handle themselves in a wide range of situations. I'll say that again. You want to see how they handle themselves in a wide range of situations. Are they honest? I'm not just talking about are they honest with you. I'm saying are they honest people in general? Are they generous? How do they treat people who can't do anything for them? Are they kind? Are they pressuring you to cross boundaries that you said you won't cross? How do they relate to their parents? How do they relate to the world around them? These are the things that you're trying to discover, and the goal is to discover this and 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 learn who a person is. I'd also say that the goal is to become friends with a person. Listen, I married my best friend. It is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I knew she was a little bit crazy when I married her. She knew I was a little bit crazy, but listen, we weren't surprised by that, you know, three weeks into the marriage. We got to know one another. We got to love one another. And I promised my wife from the very beginning, I said, one, I won't play games with you. I won't play games with you. I won't try to do this. Well, I called you and you called me three days later and, you know, we'll say I love you after a year and we'll just kind of chase each other around. I said, listen, no games. But I also said, listen, I date to marry. I told her that from the very beginning. I date to marry. I'm serious about this thing. And if I figure out I cannot marry you, I will do you a favor and I will let you go. As hard as that will be for you, I will let you go. (laughs) And she agreed. And we spent, I want to say two years, getting to know one another, having long, difficult conversations, right? Becoming friends, falling more deeply in love with one another. Because that was the goal. That's what we set out to do. That's what we set out to do. We had a goal. We were just messing around and just going where the wind took us. We had a goal. We had a goal. We're answering answering the question, how do we date? I I suggest that another way of how to date is is to go public with your choice. To go public with your choice. Now, this is what going, one of the things that going public with your choice does is it will help you edit, you know, who you bring around to your friends. It's just one more layer of consideration before you parade somebody in front of your friends. I'm not saying, you know, just post it on Facebook and just parade around with a person. I'm just saying if you are ashamed for whatever reason to bring this person home or to bring this person to your church or to bring this person to your small group, I think that's about three or four red flags right there. 
And I've seen so many people date secrets, secretly and do all this sorts under the cover of darkness, under the cover of just secrecy, and so much stuff can happen. So much stuff can go wrong when you don't go public with it. So much stuff can go wrong. There's such a lack of accountability, such a lack of, you know, a few other sets of eyes on the thing to help you to spot a weasel if you've happened to take one into custody. People tell me all the time, oh, I, I've got this person that I'm dating, and they're fantastic. They're just so sweet. They're just so nice. And I'm always like, yeah, great. When do I get to meet them? When do I get to meet them? I find out through the grapevine that my sister's dating somebody. I'm like, when do I get to meet this joker so I can vet this guy for you? I got like a sixth sense, man. When does your pastor get to meet this person? I don't have to approve or disapprove for you in order for you to date. That's not how this works. That's not that type of church. But I think it's helpful for an objective set of eyes. I shouldn't even say objective. A critical set of eyes. (laughs) And I have those. Critical set of eyes to, 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 to behold this person that you're interested in. Parents, if your children are dating people that you, you know, you, you've not learned about yet or you've learned about, you know, months into it, you know, that's a red flag. It's a red flag. It could be that they, you know, that you don't have the type of relationship where they feel open and that's something that needs to be uh, addressed. But it certainly, it doesn't really speak well of the, the man or the woman that they've decided to date. What's, what's the issue? Why can't you go public? Why can't people know? And I think that your small group, your Christian circle, your parents, your pastor, these types of people can see things in a person that you can't see. And when you see that person, all you see is, you know, little hearts. And you see them, and it's kind of like you see those pictures and it's kind of fogged out around them, you know. All you see is them, especially in those first couple of months, you know, first couple of weeks. And all the terrible things that they do, you just... Your mind just edits that out. You don't see that. But you bring them around your friends that you vowed to, you know, be accountable to. And they say, you know what? That guy's kind of a weasel. He was kind of checking me out, you know, your boyfriend, you know. Or she was just kind of flirting. She looked kind of flirtatious. The dude seemed real uncomfortable in church. Are you sure? (laughs) You went to a bathroom a lot, you know. No, I say that jokingly, but what I'm saying is tremendous value and going public with your relationships because it's through doing that that you can have some extra eyes on this person and they can help you vet somebody and help keep eyes on you. It just works all the way around. I could talk about that a lot. The other thing I'd say is, um, as it relates to how to date, is to beware of the physical stuff. Uh, beware of the physical stuff. A lot of the responses that came in asked questions like how far is too far sort of thing. And listen, we talked uh, a lot about that last week, but I'll say this. Uh, Jesus really speaks to this plainly, uh, in my opinion. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus isn't just talking to men here. He's talking to all of us. And basically, where he's drawing the line in a different place than many of us would draw the line. He's drawing the line in a different place than our culture draws the line. Jesus is saying, if you do it up here, you might as well do it out here. If you do it up here, you might as well do it out here. And what Jesus is saying, he's drawing a closer line. He's redefining our understanding of what's physical stuff is on limits. Now, if Jesus says what we do up here is the same as adultery, is the same as actually physically sleeping with somebody, what do you think that all the fooling around and all the heavy petting, what do you think that the Bible is saying about those things? If you're having some trouble for the sake of time, I'll sum it up for you. He's saying that stuff is off limits. It's off limits. And I think we tend to know that. I think sometimes I'm just being asked because sometimes we want to get a bunch of opinions and maybe we'll get one that suits, you know, what we've been doing already. You won't get that here. I'm going to give you what the word says. That stuff, listen, 
It'll, it, it'll, it'll ruin your relationship. It'll ruin your relationship. It'll rack you with guilt. And not only that, it's really hard to see a person for who they really are when you've gotten physical with them already. Right? It's really hard to see that person and see the things that you're supposed to be on the lookout for when you've, begin to get, when you've begun to get physical with a person. It's really difficult. Here you are, you're supposed to be keeping an eye out for their devotion life with Jesus, and you're trying to keep an eye out for whether or not they're honest and all these sort of things. But once you start doing the physical stuff, even if you don't go all the way, that stuff feels so good, and that stuff it has this pseudo way of bringing you closer to one another. It's accelerating things in a false way. It's producing a, a closeness and an intimacy, and you're shoplifting something that God only designed to be, you know, to represent, be represented in marriage, and it's giving you a false sense of closeness, and it's blinding you to the things that you should be seeing. It's blinding you. And even if you see it, that felt so good that I think that uh, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with the fact that he's getting angry and he's getting progressively worse with his anger, and he's putting his hands on me. I'll, I'll, I'll just deal with that because, you know, this part is so good. Or guys, you know, I'll deal with, you know, her, her, her flaws and her character and the, the fact that she really doesn't enjoy pressing into Jesus. I'll deal with that because, man, she's really good at that, that one thing, Right? What I'm saying is beware of the physical stuff, not only because it's sinful, and it is. Beware of the physical stuff because it kind of blinds you to some of the things that you desperately need to see. You desperately need to see. And finally, as it relates to how to date, keep Jesus at the center. Let me tell you something. It's hard to go wrong and dating when you keep Jesus at the center. It's hard to hang on to a bozo when you've decided to keep Jesus at the center. And some of you know this to be very, very true. When you've said, listen, if you want to date me, there's a third wheel here. Jesus comes with me. And I'm telling you, the clowns, they, won't, they don't like that arrangement. The sisters that, you know, just aren't really interested in living according to that, listen, they don't want that. They don't want that. And first of all, this, you know, this goes all the way back to this whole idea of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything and be added, pursuing Jesus, saying, listen, Jesus is at the center of this thing. Listen, there's a whole lot you avoid. There's a whole lot you avoid when you decide to do that from the very beginning. And some of you are dating, and you've not been perfect. You've made mistakes. You've crossed lines. You've crossed boundaries. Some of you are here today, and you may be dating what you now consider to be a person who is not a Christian. They're a good person, but they're not a Christian. And listen, you know, to keep Jesus at the center of this will really make some of your decisions for you. Will really make some of your decisions for you. And as a person of faith, I've found that a lot of the guesswork and a lot of the gray area is taken care of for me by God's word. By God's word. And I think to keep Jesus at the center of our relationships, of our dating relationships, because they matter so much, will save us from a lot of heartache and will put us in position to be dating and pursuing a married life with the person that God has for us, a person who values what we value, believes what we believe, and will give their heart in the same way to Jesus as you've chosen to do. To compromise that in any way, compromise that in any way, really puts a stress and really puts a strain on this and will rob you of living the good life the abundant life in your dating relationship. So how do we put this all together? What's the big picture? In worship team, you can come up. We talked about seeking the kingdom of God first. We talked about the, God's prohibition of dating outside of the faith, as silly as that may seem in the culture around us. God says, don't do it. We understand that God has a plan for us, and to date properly, we must have goals in mind to get to know that person 
and the intent which should be to marry. We understand that we ought to go public with this and bring this person around people so they can get vetted. We've been warned against going uh, into those physical waters, the waters of the physical stuff, because it colors who that person is, and it goes against God's command to save sex from marriage. And finally, we said it's vitally important in your dating relationship to keep Jesus at the center, and to do that means great success in your dating life and in your life with Jesus. Now, some of you are here at varying stages of being, you know, single and, and dating relationships. You have a few prospects, and some of those people might have fallen off your list as a result of this message. And you can send me a card or something to my office, <laughs> and you can thank me. I like gift cards and stuff like that. But this is serious business. This is serious business. To date the wrong person, to tangle yourself up in a life, uh, uh, that's apart from what God planned for you is very costly, more costly than you can see right now. And my encouragement for you today is, listen, there, there are a lot of singles in this church that are doing this right. It's hard and you're doing it right. And I just want to commend you this morning and say, listen, keep fighting the good fight. God is for you. Keep fighting the good fight. Some of you here, you're not quite doing so well. Listen, I want to challenge you and encourage you to fight the good fight. And I want to pray for some of you specifically today, those of you who are struggling and those of you who are weak in this area and those of you who need some help in this area. Listen, I want to pray for you and ask God and his spirit to come upon you and to help you live this life abundantly so you can live the good life as God intended. Let me pray.